Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be gathered together like this as your adopted ones. We're so grateful, Father, for your amazing plan of grace and that you took unworthy, unworthy sinful vessels like ourselves and you made them new again and made them useful. And Father, we're just uh, privileged to be in your plan and to know that we have salvation as a gift by placing our trust in your precious Son. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that you guide us and teach us tonight by your Holy Spirit, supernaturally, as only you can do. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, undistracted devotion to the Lord, just as I got distracted by the iPad. It's kind of funny. A little pop-up message there. If you look at the title of our series, it can be kind of intimidating, if you're honest, um, because no, nobody can meet that standard on the board. It's like 100% undistraction in this life. That's our goal. That's where we, we want to get to, and that's our direction, but it can be kind of intimidating. And I think the Spirit's done a nice uh, job with us in the sense of being gracious towards us as we explore these topics. Because sometimes it's easy for us to get condemned. Uh, we put ourselves down, even, even just subtly in our own hearts. You know, I'm not up to par. I'm not worthy. Well, who's up to par? Who's worthy? Who's actually totally up to par <laughs> at 100% undistracted devotion to the Lord? That will never happen in this lifetime for any of us. So stop condemning yourself if you are. That's kind of one thing the Spirit's been gracious, graciously giving us in this series. And in a passage we read uh, last week, the perspective we should carry with us is that God is asking us to excel still more. Do you remember that phrase from last week? God is asking us to excel still more. In other words, you're not on the wrong track. If you're, if you're submitting to my word, and you're doing your best, you're, you're, you're following, you're not on the wrong track, you're on the right track. But I'm telling you, you can excel still more. The Spirit's saying, excel still more. You can go to the next level, so to speak, spiritually, in your surrender, in your submission, in your obedience, in your love. So it's not a message of condemnation. It's really a message of encouragement that God sees that we can go to this quote-unquote next level you know what I mean? So if you're already on the right path and you're following God's word, you should not be living under condemnation in your soul. Turn again in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. I just want you to see this phrase, excel still more again, but also see it in the context um, how the Thessalonians were actually doing a good job already. And they were encouraged to go further. So 1 Thessalonians 4.1 Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how 
you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So this is not a, a condemnation or a judgment or even a discipline. Uh, this is the passage the Spirit gave us last week as he gave it to the Thessalonians. So not only receiving the instruction, as it says here, on how you ought to walk and please God, but you actually do walk that way. So that's good. But I want you to excel still more. And look at verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, some of you condemn yourself because you don't have enough love, I being one of them at times. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it. So be encouraged. You do practice it. Told all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And if you think about it, could there be a more wonderful, holy challenge? Okay, when I say holy, think of being set apart for God, right? That's, our, that's where God wants us to be. He wants to set us apart more and more for himself. Could there be a more wonderful, holy challenge than for God to test our hearts and see where our first love is? Isn't that actually a really good thing? It's painful at times, right? When you see he's not first, he's third or he's fifth or whatever, right? It's painful at times. But should we be condemning ourselves? Or is God saying, accept this healthy challenge, spiritual challenge? I'm going to examine your hearts. I'm going to ask you to examine your hearts. I want you to examine who your first love really is, where your affections lie. And as painful as it is sometimes, it's a healthy, good thing. So don't be condemned as we explore this topic even more. Look at it as your loving father trying to point something out to you that you don't quite see yet. And we're all in that boat. So on the board, these were some questions regarding godly love in our lives. Is my life consistent with God's love? You know, as a habit, right? We're talking about lifestyle. Is my life or my lifestyle consistent with God's love? Am I willing to lay down my life for others, not because I'm emotionally attached to them, but rather for our Father's sake in heaven, as Christ did? I love that, that question. Are you willing to lay down your life for others for the Father's sake as part of the Father's plan? And then, of course, is my heart right before God? When I think of motivation, uh, another question we might add to this list is, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Is our heart right before God? An adolescent response in our souls would be to react to these questions and get defensive. And it's easy to do because we don't want to be discovered for our weakness. We don't want to be uh, criticized. But why do that? Why have an, an adolescent reaction, let's call it? Why do that if you know that God loves you? I mean, if you really know that God loves you, 
and you accept that, and you're convinced of that, as bad as you are at times, if you're convinced of that, then why, why have an adolescent reaction and be immature and, and get defensive if you know God loves you? In other words, if you know he's doing it because he cares for you. That's why these questions are on the board, because God's trying to take us to that next place of peace and love in the sphere of love, right? So I think the Spirit's been saying, let's grow up and refuse to react to these kind of questions. But honestly, wonder what our loving Father is getting at in a relationship. Honestly, wonder, what, what are you getting at, Dad? What are you trying to show me? I don't see it yet. And it's a little painful, but I know you love me, right? I don't see it yet. But you know he has his best in mind for all of us. We were faced with an example of why we shouldn't get defensive at such probing questions. And it's really a great example on the board, God's love on trial. We all do this. And at first when I saw this, I, I, um, I didn't think I'd do this that often, but then I think of different ways I phrase this, and I do this a lot, right? Asking God to show himself to you, basically. How many times have you said to God, show me that you love me? How many times have you, quote-unquote, demanded that God reveal his love to you? And how many times have you used the evidence of his love for you as proof that his love for you even exists? In other words, you're really happy when he does show you, he gives you a sign, quote-unquote. He gives you evidence that he's for you and not against you. And you're happy about that, right? You rely on that evidence to give you peace or assurance of God's love for you. And God knows we're just children. He knows we need that from time to time at least. So we put God's love on trial like this, right? Yet, on the board, we're somehow affronted when challenged regarding our own love and its deeds. So the Spirit is asking tonight, is that a fair relationship? Is that a fair relationship? A relationship is a two-way street right? We say to God, show me your love. I need to see your love. But we don't like when God says the same to us. Why not? Isn't this a two-way relationship? Thank God he's the initiator, right? He's the one that, quote-unquote, stepped out on faith, reaching down to us to establish, establish this relationship. And his son certainly did so, literally. And our job is to just respond with love. It's not even to initiate love, thank God, which we'd be unable to do in our flesh. So why do we get upset? Why don't, why don't we like it when God says, show me your love? And I'll, I'll know your love by your deeds. Can't hide your deeds. What we know is that we love God because he first loved us. We love him because he freely offered us peace, even though he was the offended party. Isn't that why we love him? Isn't that why we're drawn to him? Uh, at times blown away by his love for us, that he even considers us to begin with. It's like in a much smaller way, a true friend who completely forgives you and loves you 
even though you did something horrible to them. Right? Can you relate to something like that? Or a parent who unequivocally does the same for you, even though you may have done something horrible to them. And they forgive you completely and love you anyway. That's a much smaller scale of what God has done for us, the one who invented forgiveness. And we react when he says, show me your love. I'll know by your deeds, by the way. Can't hide it. So on the board, we saw Romans 5, 8 in the Amplified Classic. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. Thank God he shows and clearly proves his love to us. So what more can we do with that truth on the board? What more can we do with that than respond with love? How, how are you not like um, broken down by that? Melted, so to speak. You know what I mean? How are you not uh, disarmed by that truth? And that's what allows the, the hardest heart of a sinner to, to, you know, surrender and love him back because of that truth on the board. And how can we respond back to God with love? How do we do that? There's really only one way to do that. And it's with our actions. It's with our deeds. It's with our lives. It's with our obedience in a surrender to his selfless love. And the fact is, as we've been learning, love has deeds. It just does have deeds. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We've seen another version of this, which is just worded a bit differently in John 14, 21. This has been a major passage for us recently. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. There's a certain intimacy only granted to those who love him. Only granted to those who love him. Talk about conditional blessings. The Lord isn't going to disclose himself or reveal himself to anyone who doesn't want to love him. And I say want to love him in the sense of being willing. Because sometimes you're like, I don't have it. But I'm willing, Lord, right? Help my unbelief kind of thing. I believe, help my unbelief. The Lord is not going to disclose himself to someone who doesn't want to love him. He's not going to do it. He's not going to cast his pearls before swine, we might say. And the evidence of wanting to love God is keeping his commands. That's the evidence of it. That's the proof point. And plainly stated, and this, this really should set you free. I've been thinking a lot about this lately. If we love God, we will keep his commands by default. See, all we have to do is worry about loving God, learning how to love God and have him first in our hearts, in our affections, even. And that's why we're here. But if we do love him, we're going to obey his commands by default. 
because love's behind it without even trying, if you know what I mean. I hope you see what I'm saying um, because it's, it simplifies the spiritual life. Instead of you looking at a hundred commands, you're looking at one. As Jesus said, you, you follow this command to love God, you'll fulfill the whole law. You don't have to worry about the details because your love will motivate you to do what's pleasing to the Father. And you know what's pleasing and what's not, even by your conscience. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. If we love God, we will keep His commands by default. without even trying. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. On the board, Matthew seven twelve in the New Living Translation. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. We've been through this in the past. How if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor, right? You're not going to cover your neighbor's possessions because you love them. So again, if you have love or love is your motivation, you will fulfill and keep God's commands. You will obey them. Love is the primary essence of God we've been talking about lately. And if we reside in that sphere, we will fulfill the law of God by default. Turn to uh, Mark twelve twenty eight for one more example. Mark twelve twenty eight. <clears throat> you know, the more we, we stay in the Word, the, the simpler the plan of God gets. At least, you know, I think that's what we should be seeing it. We complicate it, but love is a perfect example. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
By the way, that's part of the law too. Right? All the commands, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But to love is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So with God's love as our motivation, we cannot lose in life. Even the spiritual walk, with all the commands we, we're, we're told to keep, will become simple for us because love's the motivation behind it. And we'll be pleasing to God. We'll obey His commands when we abide in His love. Period. We'll obey His commands. We'll be pleasing to Him when we abide in His love. When we don't abide in His love, there's trouble. There's struggling, there's striving, there's becoming religious to try to keep commands that you, you can't keep. So it becomes an uphill battle. It becomes, a, it becomes a struggle. It becomes a burden, as the scriptures have been telling us. But it's not a burden if we first abide in his love. And that's a major message in, in tonight's lesson, which we'll see more of coming up. Loving God, as we all know by now, hopefully, isn't found in fulfilling a checklist. It's found in why we obey his commands. It's found in why we obey his commands. It's found in obeying his commands from the heart with him as our first love, as our first concern in life. Who's your first concern in life? Is it you? Guilty. Is it somebody else that you love? Like I was talking about again, we're going back to your persevering affections. Who do your affections persevere after? More than Jesus. This is where love is found. It's found in gratitude and appreciation to God for the new life he died for us to possess. And therefore, he's number one in your heart. And in this way, we're pleasing to God. God looks at the heart, right? In that way, we're pleasing to God. And in that way, we keep his commands. And it's not burdensome because... I love God. I want to do whatever he wants me to do because I love him. It's easy not to do this or that or this if I love him. If I don't love him, right, it's a bear. But what does God want from us more than anything else? Super simple. Love me back. Love me back. Like if we, I always think about this, if, if you saw Jesus right now today in the, in, the, in the flesh, face to face, it would be easy to love him because you finally see him. You see what he looks like. You even see his scars. It would be easy to love him, right? But by faith, God's saying, love me back. You know who I am. You know what I've done for you. By faith, love me in return. One day you'll see it and you'll see why. But now I want you to do it by faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is a substance of things not seen, right? Or conviction of things not seen. So that's where we're at. Like God's saying, I've given you all the evidence without actually appearing to you face to face. I've given you so much evidence of my love for you. Now I want you to love me back. And if you love me back, you will keep my commands. 
because you really want to please me because you appreciate what I've done for you. On Sunday, we also talked about living in God's love, fulfilling the law. Um, it kind of came out in pastor's blog and how the law embodies embodies him. And that's already on the board. I guess I jumped forward, didn't I? God's morality in the law. Romans 2.20b, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. The fact is that the law is a perfect reflection of God's holy character. It's who he is. It's his standard. It's, it's part of who he is. It's part of his essence. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 11.33. Romans 11.33. So the fact is that the law is a perfect reflection of God's holy character. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. In context, God's wisdom and knowledge are expressed in his gracious choice towards his creatures. So we're back to the fact that love is who God is. Love is what motivated him to treat us graciously. And who among us can understand the magnificence of that, the fullness of that? The, in this verse, verse 33, unfathomable ways of God. But like the law, the word, reveals who he is, his character, his very character. And his law reflects his loving self. So on the board, God's law, which lays down commandments for his creation, is motivated by God's perfect love. The adolescent doesn't see that. Right? Why you give me all these laws? rules to follow. You don't like me, right? That's a teenager response. Not all of them, Shawnee, but most of them. Again, God's law, which lays down commandments for his creation, is motivated by his perfect love as a father. If you wholeheartedly believe that statement on the board, you will be set free. You will be set free because you're believing the love God has for you. So anything that he writes to me, it's a love letter, if you will. Even the law, even the rule, even the commands. It's from love. God's law is a reflection of his love and care for his creation. Just as any good father would take care of his children who don't know better. And the law was given for our benefit as a reflection of his passionate heart for us. Look at it that way. So on the board, we've been talking about the sphere of God. Love and the law of God coexist in the same sphere, namely God's essence. These are inseparable qualities, among others, that though distinguishable individually, nonetheless always function in perfect synchronicity, harmony, and immutably. It's all part of him, right? Is God going to write, write down a law that's against his own essence? 
That'd be silly. He writes it all down for us. It's part of his heart. It's part of his love for us. It's from his love for us. And as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, in a way we just described heaven. This perfect synchronicity, if you will, between God's laws and the love of God and other parts of his essence. We just just described heaven. There's no schisms. There's no, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to stop it. (laughs) You know, they don't contradict one another. They go together perfectly. And in heaven, we will all have zero problem obeying God. We won't have any adolescent reactions. It'll be completely our joy to do so. Completely our joy to do so. And as the Spirit mentioned also on Sunday, it may not even feel like obedience because we'll be completely made new with no baggage to deal with like we are right now in the flesh. There will be no more adolescent defensiveness towards God's ways. And really, it's going to be so easy in heaven for one reason. On the board. In heaven, we will have implicit obedience because our love will be pure like God's. So simple. God wants us to see this now, experience this now, by faith, in humility. But our love one day in heaven is going to be as as pure as, as God's. We're going to have God's love with no flesh and no sinful nature interrupting it. So we're literally just going to obey him out of total ecstasy, total joy to be able to serve him in heaven in whatever way we can. So just try to imagine that. And that's what God wants us to see now or experience now, at least in part. That love being that perfect motivation that gives you this energy and motivates you to run in his direction and you don't want to you don't want to turn your eyes to the right or to the left because you're in love with him so we will follow and obey the lord perfectly in heaven because we possess perfect love and therefore perfect motivation don't forget how those things are related the bible says the love of christ motivates us that's the perfect motivation in life and in heaven we're going to possess perfect love And therefore, perfect motivation. Because love is the perfect motivation. So let's, let's, you know, apply it to our own lives now. Let's let's ponder that. Let's, Let's ask God for that. Because then life becomes easy. Our motivation is horrible at times in this life. We know that. But why is that? It's because our love isn't pure yet. Our love is tainted. Our love is distracted. We buy counterfeit loves. But the result when God makes it perfect in heaven is perfect peace. And again, that's what God wants us to have a glimpse of in this life. So look forward to that now in your own daily life, in your own walk. If we simply focus on loving God and living in the sphere of his love, we can have a slice of heaven right now and get a glimpse of his perfect peace. And obedience is a major sign that you do love God.
the way the Apostle John tells us. And in fact, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 John 2, verse 4. 1 John 2, 4. We'll see this one more time. In fact, a total lack of obedience shows a total lack of love for God. And that's evidence against the so-called believer. 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. As we heard from McDonald last week, God's love toward us has been brought to its goal when we keep his word. God's love toward us has been brought to its goal when we keep his word. The gentleness of the Spirit gave us a balance statement. So we don't lose sight that as we're on this quest to possess God's love, we don't lose sight that it's a journey. So thank God for balance statements. And thank God for the gentleness of God. As in Psalm 18, David said, The gentleness of God makes me great. David knew the source of anything good about him. And he called it out as the gentleness of God. We might also say the patience of God. Isn't that what makes any of us great? Ask yourself right now, knowing where you've come from, knowing your background, knowing your failures, ask yourself right now, where would you be right now without God's gentleness towards you? I know where I'd be. Wouldn't be pretty. So think about it. His graciousness, his gentleness and patience. You know what that does? Because think about all the times he's forgiven you, all the times he's uh, treated you graciously when you didn't deserve it, right? Think about all those hundreds and thousands of times in your life. You know what that leads to? An opportunity to bring him glory. So God was patient with us, right? Gentle with us along the way because he knew what he wanted to use us for. And that's a privilege, total privilege and opportunity that we shouldn't have even gotten this far where we are right now in life, right? Total privilege and opportunity. And who gets all the glory? God does. Especially because he let us live long enough to get to this point where we could maybe do something good for him and his plan. So it's nothing less than the gentleness of God that makes any, any of us great. So take this reminder from the gentle hand of your loving Father who is eternally patient with you and I on the board. Sanctification takes time. Therefore, to our series title, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, that takes time too. So relax. Just worry about the direction you're on, on the board. While the direction has been set in our new creature at salvation, the perfection remains outstanding as the end goal. And that won't happen until we get to heaven, when we're ultimately sanctified in perfection, in pure love. But just stay on course. Stay on course and rely on 
the gentleness of God and the patience of God. He, know, he knows where you come from. He knows what you're made of. And he knows it's dust. So it's not like he has unrealistic expectations. Instead, he just wants willingness because he knows how useless we are on our own. He wants humility, right? Turn your Bibles to Psalm 103, 14, just as a friendly reminder and encouraging reminder. So this is all part of the balance statement that the Spirit has given us to encourage us and be like, you know what? It's not that you're not following me, but I want you to excel still more. I have plans for you. I'm changing you as we speak. Psalm 103, 14. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So you can see God doesn't have any unrealistic expectations of us. And he wants our heart. He knows we're going to screw it up over and over. He wants our heart. He's like, I'll do it all in you if you just surrender. I'll do it all in you. Surrender to me by faith. Follow me by faith. I'll produce it all in you. So on the board, perspective. None of us are perfect. Our faith isn't, our love isn't, and our deeds aren't. So let's just get that out of the way, right? And you're the one that needs to accept this. Not God. He fully is aware. And so is everyone sitting around you, by the way, that you're unable to do these things perfectly. So we need to accept it ourselves. And this is good because then we rely on God even more for all the strength, all the wisdom, all the power. We ought to stay level-headed and not reactionary as we're, as we're challenged with such a holy, wonderful challenge as, as this is, to be undistractedly devoted to God. Stay level-headed and not reactionary as we consider the journey of God sanctifying us. It's a journey. We never arrive. So rejoice in that. And rejoice in the fact that only God can do the work in you. So on the board regarding sanctification, God sanctifies our hearts. And that's where it starts, by the way. In case you're putting the cart before the horse. God sanctifies our hearts first. Fruit is the evidence of his love abiding in us. And increasing evidence means increased sanctification. Keeping his word. And if we react or get religious and start striving in the flesh to please God, that's our mistake. That's us having the wrong perspective, putting the cart before the horse. Our heart and our motivation must be changed by God first, not our fruit. The fruit will come. It'll come because the roots are good, right? The roots of the tree are good, watered, taking in the right nutrients. The fruit will come. That's, that's easy for God to do through us. It's allowing him to change our heart and our motivation uh, by faith. So again, on the board, if truth ever puts us back into bondage, it's not truth's fault. It's our own. We have a wrong perspective in there somewhere. 
For example, if we're condemning ourselves for not meeting God's standards. If truth ever puts us back into bondage, it's not truth's fault. It's our own. Truth sets us free by God's design. So look at the freedom, le freedom level in your soul versus the guilt level. Where are you at? What's, what's, uh, what's dominating how you feel even about yourself in God's plan? What's your freedom level versus your guilt level? If guilt is dominating your soul, you have the wrong perspective about sanctification. You're looking at it from an earthly, human perspective. Sanctification is a work of God in us, right? It's a work of God. Only God can sanctify this disgusting flesh that we reside in. Only God can sanctify a sinner. And he promises to complete the good work in us. In Philippians 1 and 2. What's our job? What's our role? Well, it's like a broken record. Uh, you probably all can answer this. I've asked you to raise your hands. Remain willing and humble each and every day. Live with a humble attitude of surrender and watch God do marvelous things in your life. And that will lead to freedom because you've admitted the fact that you can't do it without God doing it for you. Stop thinking you're smart enough or you're moral enough. Um, I'm not sure what your flesh might be clinging to as a strength, but you can't do it without God doing it for you through submission, through surrender to him. And then as he changes you, you start to see a changed heart and motivation within yourself. Maybe not every day, but periodically, right? You look back and you say, wow, I really, I really do truly look at this thing differently now. Like three years ago, I didn't. But now my heart has really actually changed on this issue. And you can only give credit to God, right? Because of the way you came from. You know it isn't you. And it actually becomes freeing to love God and follow his commands. Freeing. 1 John 5, 3, on the board, Amplified Classic. For the true love of God is this, that we do his commands, keep his ordinances, and are mindful of his precepts and teaching. And these orders of his are not irksome, burdensome, oppressive, or grievous. Pastor gave us a good illustration on Sunday about this type of heart and attitude that God is trying to create in us. Uh, he mentioned would you ever go up to a happy mother who's holding her infant and say, hey, make sure you don't forget to feed your baby milk? We would never do that, right? What an insult. Because you're basically saying you don't, to the mother you don't love your baby. So you see the power of love there when love is your motivation. A good mother loves her child so much that she doesn't need to be told what to do because she's already motivated by love. So bring that to, you know, yourself and the spiritual life and your relationship to God. On the board, when love motivates, when love motivates, we do what's right in God's eyes with joy and ease because we love Him. It's that simple. 
So if we're struggling in our spiritual walk, it's not, it's not for um, any other reason than lacking love for God. If we really cut to the chase. We do what's right in God's eyes with joy and ease because we love Him. His commands are no longer burdensome to us. They just won't be if love is motivating us. And again, don't condemn yourself. This is a journey. I've condemned myself too many times in the recent past. This is a journey. If you don't have it, be humble and keep asking God for more. As God gives more grace to the humble, hearts are changed. And that's where it begins. We're changed from the inside out, and that's how it has to be. And that's the only way it works, and that's how God gets all the glory as well. So regarding the sphere of love on the board, anyone abiding in the sphere of love wants to do what love desires. In the case of children of God, it is to obey their Father in heaven. Love wants to obey because love wants to please. If you never made that connection right, doesn't love want to please the object of you know, your love? Isn't, isn't that your desire? Because you love them, you want to please them. You want to make them happy. And that's why love wants to obey his commands. And that's why it's easy. We'll never be perfect in this life, but, but we can be on the right course. And we can have a lifestyle of going in that direction. Following God, running towards him. And true believers will follow the Lord to some degree, as we know, because the Bible plainly says that. The Spirit has graciously also been very practical with us. We've seen cause and effect in our lives and the reality of conditional blessings in the Bible. And we're going to end with one tonight that's pretty big. I mean, they all are, but it's directly related to love. And so by grace, the Spirit has asked us to ponder our lifestyles because our sins often come from our lifestyles, even those lifestyles that aren't evil on the surface. We've talked about, really, if you think about it, a push-and-pull obedience option. How are you going to obey God? Obedience after we sin is kind of like a push method. Right? I mean, you, you fail God again in the same area again, and you go to God and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I know I'm wrong. Help me. And that's good to do that thing, right? But it's also kind of the adolescence approach to authority. Let me disobey and screw up and come back to him again instead of obeying in the first place, right? But when we enter into obedience before we sin, we're in the pull method. We're allowing God to pull us to his goodness without disobedience first. Like a teenager testing all the boundaries. That's more painful, isn't it? Getting grounded. Who wants to be in the room all day? You want God to put you in your room all day? I'm being silly, but seriously, we get, we get uh, disciplined, don't we? Doesn't God discipline us at time to time? Even that's out of grace. So why not avoid all that 
and be the obedient child that God can bless freely without things in the way? Why not allow ourselves to be pulled to him by his love instead of testing every command and trying to, whatever, live life on the fence? So on the board, this has been coming up a lot, post versus pre-sinning obedience. By now, most of us are pretty good at obeying the recovery from sin commandments in the Bible, such as confession, uh, asking forgiveness, etc. However, obeying commandments that keep us from sinning in the first place constitutes a much better lifestyle. Shall we say a much, uh, much less painful lifestyle? 99% of the pain in our lives is caused by ourselves and our disobedience and our arrogance. So we all sin and need to repent towards God when needed. And that's a good thing. But it shouldn't be the only commands we obey. That's adolescent. In fact, pleasing our Father means listening to Him before stumbling. Also, not to mention learning from your past mistakes, right? We're so stubborn and arrogant sometimes. And we're all going to fail. But you know what? God wants that pendulum to swing to the other side. Instead of like, you know, all your obedience being post-sinning and confession, he's like, come, 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 come over here. He's pulling us this way. Come over here. Will you just listen and realize what I'm telling you is true and follow it before you stumble and hurt yourself and before I might even have to discipline you? God wants us to have the best. What father doesn't? So on Sunday, I believe this also came out on the board. We need to find the righteous lifestyle that protects us from sinning in the first place. That protects us from ourselves. And you know yourself better than anybody. And I know myself better than anybody. And that's why one lifestyle might be okay for somebody and not okay for somebody else because it leads down a certain path, right? Certain direction. And generally speaking, we all know where that leads. If it's a lifestyle, we've been there before. So we need to find for ourselves, between ourselves and God, our own convictions before God. We need to find our own righteous lifestyle that protects us from sinning in the first place. And it might involve making radical changes, at least in one area of your life or two, or three, or five, like DJ. Radical changes. If you got to do it, do it. Like, change something in your life. Cut something out. Um, I don't know what it might be, but you might have to not make a minor change. You might have to redesign something in your life, a way, a lifestyle that you live that ends up dragging you down half the time. So if you see an adjustment needs to be made, pray for strength, but don't stop there. Do something. Pray for strength. You know, one of my favorite things, you know, between me and the Lord, I guess. Pray for strength and then go forward and do it and ask God to stop you if you don't have to do it or if that's not what he wants you to do. Go forward by faith and do something. Do something that you honestly think and your conviction is good. And God will stop you in his faithfulness, especially if you ask him. So the point is, don't just pray about it. If you know something's bad or something is, you know, leading you, 
in the wrong place, to the wrong place, do something. Make a change. And have it be for God's glory. Have that be your motivation. So on the board, regarding the whopper, one more time, we sometimes adopt lifestyles that inhibit our own sanctification. We consistently, or if we consistently sin, in one particular area of our life, we need to step back, evaluate our lifestyle, and make appropriate adjustments. And you know, funny thing, God is actually concerned about this. God is concerned about us missing out on his greatest blessings. As our Father, he's concerned about it. He doesn't want us to keep going down that path again and to have to hold back his blessings, have to hold back disclosing himself to us. Remember that? That's the reason for his commands in the first place, to guide us on the path of righteousness so he can release the blessings to us like full force, like a fire hose instead of a, you know, a bubbler, right? A little water fountain. He wants to release it all. He really does to us, but we can't, we can't bear it. We can't take it all. We're not perfect. We don't have the capacity, but that's his desire. So on the board, this has been coming up over and over, and this is what we'll close with. The truth is that we lose blessings when we choose to focus our attention and often our affections on someone or something other than our first love, Jesus Christ. And you know what? God hates this. He doesn't, he's sad about this as our Father. He doesn't want us to lose blessings. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 8.28 as an example. Romans 8.28. We lose out on blessings when we focus on another love ahead of Christ. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you really want to lose out on God causing all things to work out together for good in your life? Do you really want to lose out on God doing that for you on a habitual basis? If so, put him second or third or fourth on your priority list and your love scale. All because you allowed your heart to stray after counterfeit lovers. I don't know about you, but this is a, a big one I do not want to miss out on. Because if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know the mystery of how God causes all things to work together for good in your life when you follow Him. You know it's mysterious at times how, whatever, right? Things come together and He fixes things behind the scenes or, or things don't catch up to you or or. Someone's attacking you and then everything, all the tables turn and you're protected. You know the mystery of that beautiful thing that only he can do for us. You can't do it yourself, right? No matter how much you try to figure out life and life is just life. It's crazy. But he literally somehow causes all things to work together for good. But he only does it for those who love him. This is 
to me, one of the greatest conditional promises to receive in this life. But it's conditional. And what's the condition here? To those who love God. And the more we love Him, the more He causes all things to work out for good in our lives. That's why some people call sanctification progressive sanctification. Because it is progressive. It is a a progress. The more we love Him, which hopefully we're always on that trend, the more He causes all things to work out for good in our lives. All things. Even things that seem impossible. And what's the clear evidence that we do love Him? Obeying His commands. That's the evidence. So conditional blessings exist as a reality in God's plan. And He's not going to disclose Himself to those that don't love Him. And in this case, He's not going to work all things together for good for those who don't love Him. So one more time, let's read Romans eight twenty-eight. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So let's go home tonight and rest on that conditional promise. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word and Your Spirit. We thank You for Your grace and Your gentleness towards us and taking us this far and letting us still be alive another day to bring You glory and have the privilege and opportunity to bring You glory in some way with our lives before we meet You face to face. Father, we ask that You bless us all as we go and help us take the truth out to this lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We know that's our ultimate mission from you. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.